2: Amber Speed. Speed. Down production, take one.
3: Action! Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era. Hear fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine, who quite literally lives just beneath the Hollywood sign, and actress-writer Nan McNamara. Now your hosts, Steve and
2: Nan. You know, Nan, today's episode is kind of near and dear to my heart. Yes. It's based Based on a blog that I wrote in May of 2019, mm-hmm. and it was inspired by my dear, dear friend Susan Shearer. Mm. And you know, Susan was not only a wonderful actress and producer; she was a great uh, documentarian, but she was also a lover of old films, like we are. Yes. Well. One time, Susan was telling me about when she first came to Hollywood, and she ended up staying in the Hollywood Studio Club.
0: She actually stayed there. She
2: actually stayed there. And it was probably the early 70s, which means she was probably one of the last people to stay there. Mm -hmm. And she would tell me these bizarre stories about her time there, including she had this roommate who claimed to be a witch and said she had... (laughs) Well, get this. She had connections to the Charles Manson family. Oh. Which is really eerie when you realize that Sharon Tate, his most famous victim also stayed at the Hollywood Studio Club when she came to town.
0: Was Susan able to lock her door?
2: <laughs> I think she got a new roommate.
0: Okay. Um,
2: Susan's stories really inspired me to write this. Yeah. So now I'm happy we can talk about it today on the podcast. And just I just want to dedicate it to Susan. Such a, a love, and I miss her dearly. And I know she would appreciate us talking about where the good girls lived in Hollywood yes. when they came in the olden well, days. <laughs> here's to
0: Susan, and thank you, Susan, for the inspiration. Yeah.
2: If people don't know, the Hollywood Studio Club was basically an all-girls dormitory-style living situation where young women who were interested in pursuing careers in Hollywood, whether it be an actress, a writer, or a script supervisor, or whatever, they could come for a nominal fee. They would get meals a day. They would have an all-female staff. They had access to stages and theatrical materials and were really sort of cultivated, and it was a really safe, wonderful place for young girls who just came to town.
0: Not to mention the camaraderie that that would instill. Yes, In fact, there's even a 1939
2: film called Hotel for Women, which was not only the screen debut of Linda Darnell, but it was sort of used the concept of the all women's hotel as a backdrop for the story. And it's kind of loosely based on the Hollywood Studio Club.
0: Wow. How would people find out about the club? Did they have to apply in order to become a guest there?
2: Yes. They were pretty picky about who they took. Okay, (laughs) Each applicant had to, well, A, they had to be seeking a career in the film industry. Okay. But also, they needed references and they needed a letter from their parents. Okay. As, as any good girl would have a letter for her parents. Right. So, so they really handpicked the young women who would stay there.
0: Well, there is that cliche that, you know, in the Midwest and the South, no parents would let their daughter <laughs> go off to that wicked town wicked of Hollywood. Hollywood. Right? But you can be safe at the Hollywood Studio Club. Yeah. So it was originally formed in 1916, yes, right? Yes. Yes. And that was a librarian yes. at the Hollywood Public Library. A,
2: a woman named Mrs. Eleanor Jones, who was? She was a librarian at the Hollywood Public. And she uh, ran across this group of girls who would meet regularly at the library. They would discuss their careers. They would read plays. She was worried about these young women and their safety, who were all living in cheap hotels and boarding houses all throughout Hollywood. So Mrs. Jones and the YWCA, they spearheaded a campaign to establish a safe clean, affordable, and chaperoned <laughs> <laughs> residence for girls and other Hollywood hopefuls.
0: So, they got financial help from the studios and local businesses. Yes. And Mrs. Jones secured a home, actually, to begin with, right? Yes. It started out,
2: it was just like, a, I think, a three-bedroom house at 6129 Carlos Way in Hollywood. And it was the first location. And early residents of the Hollywood Studio Club included included actresses Zazu Pitts, wow. Marjorie Dahl, Lois Lee, also Anne Botchins, who would later be Cecil B. DeMille's film editor, who would edit films such as The Ten Commandments. And I think she won an Oscar for the Northwest Mounted Police. And also living there early on were screenwriters Sarah Y. Mason, who would also go on to win an Oscar for her adaptation of Little Women. Wow. And Agnes Johnston, um, who would write scripts for the Mickey Rooney, Andy Hardy movies. Okay. So some really great people lived there in the early days on Carlos Way.
0: So because the home on Carlos Way was not large enough to really accommodate very many people, yes. they did get into a vigorous fundraising campaign. And it was Will Hayes who was part of the group of folks that were raising money, right? Yes.
2: Well, he was actually an early donor. Okay. Uh, the people that spearheaded the actual campaign were Constance DeMille, the wife of Cecil B. DeMille, okay. and actress Mary Pickford. Oh. They were the ones who really got behind the fundraising efforts. Their goal was to raise $150,000 to build you know, this new, modern Hollywood Studio Club. And I find it almost ironic that while these film executives' wives were trying to raise money to build a safe haven for these vulnerable young women in Hollywood, some of their husbands were creating this unsafe environment that these girls needed safety from. Exactly.
0: (laughs) Because you read the stories
2: about these executives and the casting couch and the pressures that were placed on these young women.
0: Well, and the film industry, I think the studios wanted to replace this image of this sad, exploited extra girl with the image of this new studio girl who's smartly dressed and graceful and genteel and tutored in etiquette as well as the performing arts. But to your point, yeah. it's like they're abusing these women. <laughs>
2: it is. It's so ironic. It's very ironic. It's funny because, as you mentioned, one of the early donors to help build this new Hollywood studio club was Will Hayes, who we all know from the 30s is the creator of the Motion Picture Production company. Code or the Hayes codes, which set the strict moral conduct for motion picture content. I think he really liked the image and the idea of this chaste place where these women could be safe from these horrors the of Hollywood. horrors of Hollywood. <laughs> right. So he donated quite a bit. But so did other studios. Warner Brothers donated. Famous Players Lasky, Metro-Goldwyn, all these film emissaries like Howard Hughes and Carl Limley and Douglas Fairbanks Jr., Gloria Swanson, Harold Lloyd, screenwriter Francis Marion, and even
0: child star J. Jackie Coogan, who we talked about about. a few
2: episodes ago, they all contributed to build this great new
0: place. So it's a brand new structure. They get the final $5,000 needed to finish construction or complete the budget from silent film legend Norma Talmadge.
2: Yes, good old Norma Talmadge, which there's actually in Los Feliz a Talmadge place, which is named after her where her house was.
0: Now, the Carlos house is no longer there. No, the Carlos house
2: is gone, but the Lodi place where they ended up building is still there, which we'll we'll kind of get into that.
0: And the architect...
2: Which is so cool. I love this element.
0: ...is Julia Morgan, one of the few female architects of the era, and also, of course, known for being the architect of the Hearst Castle.
2: Yes, and the Fairmont Hotel in San Francisco. The old Los Angeles Examiner's Building in downtown. I mean, she was an anomaly to be a powerful female architect in that period. Oh, yes. Like, fascinating. Yeah. (laughs) For the new building, they hired a college-educated woman named Marjorie Williams. She would supervise the all-female administrative staff. Okay. And she was there for quite a while and was like the den mother to these young women. The house had... a a few rules, though. Yeah, okay. You couldn't just run. Waltz in
0: run, and waltz out. Run
2: crazy, yeah. The rules were you had to be working or seeking work in show business. Okay. You had to be between the ages of 18 and 35. Okay. Okay. And you could only stay three years. Okay. Those, Gosh, those I wish that rules. had
0: been around when I came out here. <laughs> those sound like doable It does. Rules. And you know,
2: and like you said earlier, it took on this sorority-like atmosphere where yes. the women, they helped each other. They would let each other know what auditions were they were going on yeah. and what they might be right for. It's so
0: important when you're new to the city yeah. to have that built-in... Camaraderie, yeah, as you exactly. said.
2: The Studio Club, they offered classes in various aspects of performing arts, and also they hosted these dances. They had these teas. They had dinners. It was a real social situation as well.
0: I loved that. The residents were provided with two meals a day, which is great. (laughs) Hair dryers, laundry equipment, typewriters, theater literature, practice rooms. They had a stage and a sun deck. But here's the thing that that I love. They were given sewing machines. I know. <laughs> Which I drove out with a sewing machine in my back on the back of my car. Okay,
2: that's really I know. Isn't that crazy? crazy?
0: Yeah, it's because I'm from you Minnesota. You can
2: whip up a dress for an audition. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Just whip that up. Just whip. I made a lot of curtains. I didn't make too many dresses. But it's but. funny. Doesn't that
2: make a statement about expectations of women in that yes, era? Yes, that for that's what sure. D- the necessities you're provided with. <laughs> yeah,
0: but mainly the purpose being obviously providing them with these tools, but safety and security was the. Big biggest yes. piece of the yeah, studio club. Yeah, and I club.
2: think those matrons really oversaw the studio club. There was a midnight curfew. Okay. No boys in the room. Darn it. Rooms must be kept clean. There was a code of conduct that was enforced. Okay. I mean, if I had a daughter back then and she wanted to go to Hollywood, I would want her to stay here.
0: Yes, <laughs> yes. Well, and especially as it became more and more well-known yes. and you would see actresses going on to become yes, famous, you kind of yes. want some of that to rub off on you.
2: Exactly. Over time, I think they said that over 10,000 young women wow. actually called the Hollywood Studio Club home at one point or another. Some of them made it. Most of them probably didn't. But it was a safe place to stay while they pursued their dreams.
0: On your your blog, and we'll post this on the YouTube uh, version of this podcast as well. You have an original brochure <laughs> from the Hollywood Studio Club. Yes. <laughs> and it is fascinating. So membership dues, the residents dues were $2. Then you could be a contributing donor for 5 to $50 or you could be considered a life member for $500 per year. Right, and I wonder if that was like a club fee or on top of the room and board fee, I, I don't know. Yeah, well, it does say in the brochure that due's covering both YWCA and Studio Club membership. So you got you got a membership to the Y and the Studio Club for $2 per exactly. year. Exactly, you
2: can go to the basement and make your dress and then go work out. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and they got breakfast and dinner so that they were out on auditions. Yeah. They would still have a nice meal, Before they left, they could live alone or they could have a roommate.
2: Yes. I think it was cheaper if you had a roommate.
0: Well, I think what we should do is get into some of the famous people that stayed at the studio club. But before we do that, I think it's time for our Hollywood pop quiz. And the
2: pop quiz of the day is today we're talking about the Hollywood Studio Club in Hollywood. But there was a New York version of this all-women's dormitory-style housing in New York City as well, which actually drew in the Broadway community and, and women that were pursuing Broadway careers. What was the name of that
0: hotel? Okay. I think I know this one. Ooh. We will be right back with more about the Hollywood Studio Club and the answer to the pop quiz after this.
2: Hello, all. Eric Rivenis with the Most Notorious podcast here.
3: Hey, Steve Nan will be right back, but first, another stop on the Hollywood tour. So the 96th Annual Academy Awards are coming up, and here's something you may never have even thought about regarding the Oscars. To preserve the identity of the winners, those mailed-in member votes are tallied in a bunch of small groups. You see, that way, no one person can figure out who the winners will be. Then, the designated two accountants in charge assemble the final count. The winner's names are handwritten on cards in a secret location and then placed in those sealed Oscars envelopes. Those are then put under tight lock and key until the day of the ceremony. When the awards presenters take the stage, they're handed the sealed envelopes and they read the winner's name for the first time after they tear open the seal. So, while the secret's then out on just who won, the two accountants still know something else no one else knows and they have to take it to their graves. Can you guess what it is? Well, it's the names of the people who almost won. Those two PricewaterhouseCoopers employees say, quote, every single year there are close races. We count, recount, count, recount again just to be sure we've got it dead accurate. And then they add, quote, the runners-up will never know. And now back to Steve Ann from Beneath Hollywood side.
0: Before we get into some of the actresses that stayed at the Hollywood Studio Club, who we all know that are household names, (laughs) we both wanted to give a shout out to our listener of the week, Liz Wheeler, who, Liz, you have been so supportive. I know that you have shared our podcast link multiple times on social media. You've also asked some great questions and brought up some great movie titles. And thank you so much for listening.
2: Thanks, Liz.
0: So let's talk about the people that stayed at the studio club. Yes. It is quite
2: a list. Oh, it's just a who's who of Hollywood, if you really look at it. Some of the earlier people who lived there, who went on to fame, were Maureen O'Sullivan. Long before she was Mia Farrow's mother or Ronan (laughs) Farrow's grandmother, Grandmother, she was actually an enormous star in all the Tarzan movies with Johnny Weismuller. She was Jane, and she stayed there when she first came to town.
0: Wow. Ayn Rand was someone who was staying there. And of course, yes. she became the author of the classic novels, The Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged. So she was there as a writer <laughs> yes. and had a hard time paying rent <laughs> at the Hollywood Studio Club, right? Yes. In fact, one month, all of the girls, all the residents pooled their money to raise $50 to help the neediest of the residents, and she was chosen <laughs> as the recipient. And she thanked the girls for the money and immediately went out and bought a black negligee with the funds.
2: <laughs> priorities, girls. Priorities. Yeah,
0: priorities. Well, hopefully once she became the famous author, she could buy some, her own yeah. lingerie. <laughs> exactly. Good for
2: you, I Exactly. <laughs> Another person who stayed there was Dorothy Malone, who went on to win an Academy Award for Written on the Wind, who was a huge star in the 40s and 50s. While she was there, she dated singer Mel Torme, who would have to wait downstairs in the beautiful living room for Dorothy to come down, because those were the rules, even for Mel Torme. Yeah,
0: that's amazing. Someone that you and I both know. And um, love. And love, God rest her. Marie Windsor stayed at the studio club. Yes. In reading up on Marie, I did not know that she studied with Maria Ospenskaya. Yes. That, which is amazing. And I have a personal connection to Marie in that when I first moved out here, I joined a theater company, which I don't think is with us anymore, called Theater East. Marie Windsor was a member there. And I got to sit <laughs> at her feet. And I wish I had asked. Her oh many more questions gosh. than I did, but she was a lovely, lovely woman. Oh, I would have, she
2: would have had to take out a restraining order against me <laughs> had I been in that class. <laughs> I would have been like, Marie, so tell me.
1: <laughs>
0: and if you don't know Marie, she is a film noir goddess, and she still looked like a film noir goddess up until <laughs> the, the time that she passed. Just a little girl from Utah coming out to Hollywood and I staying at the it. studio club.
2: And if you only watch one Marie Windsor movie, movie ever. Watch Narrow Margin. Yes. I I will say no more. Yes. It's the epitome of Marie Windsor and her image.
0: Yes. I love that her parents drove her out to Hollywood (laughs) and she stayed there for three years. Yeah, yeah. She was the max.
2: I love that. Another actress that I love and met on several occasions and it was so lovely who stayed there was Barbara Hale.
0: Oh, wow. You know,
2: long before she won Emmys as Della Street, Everyone's favorite legal secretary from Perry Mason, she was a resident at the Hollywood Studio Club. Wow. She moved there shortly after uh, coming to Hollywood from Illinois, and she lived there until she met her husband, who was fellow contract player Bill Williams, who we talked about on another podcast about his movie, Till the End of Time. So she basically went from home to the studio club to her marital home.
0: (laughs) Wow, wow. That's the way to do it. Now, this next young lady, this is amazing. Marilyn Monroe stayed at the club in room 307. She moved in in June of 1948.
2: Yes, yes. And the studio club plays a big part in her career in that she was struggling a little bit Mm -hmm. and she needed money. Right. Her rent was due. I think it was $50 that she had to come up with or she was going to get kicked out. Right. So what she decided to do, she's quoted here saying, funny how shocked people in Hollywood were when they learned I posed in the nude. She goes on to say, at one time, I'd always said no when photographers asked me, but you'll do anything when you get hungry enough. And it was at a time when I didn't seem to have much future. I had no job and no money for the rent. I was living in the Hollywood Studio Club for Girls, and I told them, I will get that rent somehow. So she phoned up a photographer she'd worked with named Tom Kelly, and she said, you want to do nudes? Let's do nudes. Okay. And that's how the Maryland calendar came to be. Okay. And apparently, he, he did two sittings with her. One was lying down, one was sitting up. She got her 50 bucks, And we have this iconic calendar.
0: And you, on your original blog post, have the check that she wrote (laughs) out to the Hollywood Studio Club for $51 for her rent. Girl earned that money. She did. (laughs) Another beautiful blonde. Who stayed at the club, Kim Novak.
2: And wouldn't leave.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? It's sounding kind of good to me, so I I don't know that I would either. So she is living at the studio club. When she's living there, she gets signed to contract at Columbia Pictures. So she's one of these success stories. As part of her contract, Harry Cohen required that she not date anyone during the week. (laughs) Yeah. Which sounds funny. Does that mean like weekends, she could on the weekends? Or? It's
2: a free-for-all <laughs> okay. on the weekend. <laughs> so
0: he posted, Harry Cohen posted a studio guard outside the club.
2: Crazy. That yes. is
0: crazy. So that she had to stay inside.
2: Yeah. And the funny thing about Kim Novak is even after she became a star, mm-hmm. she stayed. Wow. She, she liked it. And she ended up staying there even when she was like one of the biggest stars in Hollywood, which wow. I, I love. <laughs>
0: yeah. Now, our favorite genie, Barbara Eden, yes, was a resident in 1958. Yes,
2: which in her autobiography, she writes that while she was moving into the studio club, Kim Novak, who we just spoke of, who was now a major movie star, was finally moving out. <laughs> <laughs> and she remembers Kim being unbelievably beautiful and a vision dressed in lilac. Wow. And she also said that she had encounters with John Wayne, who was visiting somebody. Okay. Who, who knows? Okay. And Mary Pickford, who by now was much older. But she said that Mary Pickford still kept her hair in the blonde winglets <laughs> that made her famous. <laughs>
0: okay. Oh. little
2: little baby Jane there. (laughs) Yeah, that's a
0: little interesting. She was probably in her 60s by then, right? Yes, yes. Okay, well, I maybe need to look at my hairstyle and make sure I have that updated.
2: (laughs) Another great actress who lived at the Hollywood Studio Club was Rita Moreno. Oh. And while she was living there, actually, Kim Novak still lived there when she was there. She remembers (laughs) her. But while she was there, she started dating Marlon Brando. Oh, boy. Um, And apparently, he would call her on the one house phone on the hall. Where all the girls lived, and according to her autobiography, he could talk for hours oh. and hours, pontificating about life, oh, boy. and so. Rita kind of got used to this. She knew he was long-winded, so she would just take the phone, she would get her petty Manny set, and she would literally give herself a a pedicure and a manicure and complete it while Brando is still pontificating about life.
0: Leave it to a woman to multitask.
2: (laughs) Well, apparently all the girls, well, they were excited that it was Marlon Brando, but after a while they were like, get Get off off the the phone, because it was the only phone in the hall.
0: Yeah, and if somebody's trying to call, it's
2: busy. Exactly. So, after she would talk to Marlon Brando, all all the girls would gather in her room and she would tell them about the conversation that they had and what their dates were like so that was the
0: excitement at the, at the studio club right. and, and of course if you've seen the documentary you know that that yes. relationship ended up being quite abusive yes very yeah. But let's talk about some of the more recent folks that stayed there before it closed. Reason as in the Yeah, as in recent the 60s. as in the 60s. <laughs> yes. Sharon Tate.
2: Yes. Sharon Tate lived at the studio club in 1963, which I think her father, Colonel Paul Tate, insisted she stay someplace like that okay. because she was young and beautiful and vulnerable. and yeah. He knew. Well, it's ironic because he wanted her safe and then she moved in and she had to fend off aggressive sexual advances from her roommate. Oh. Wow. So, um, yeah, there was that.
0: Sally Struthers Yeah. also stayed at the Hollywood Club. I
2: know. Sally Struthers. I, I love that. Long before she was Gloria Stivick <laughs> on all in the family, she stayed there. And there's a great story about her. In order to pay the rent, she used to work at the Wiltern Theater selling popcorn and cleaning the women's room. Well, her roommate told her, honey, you got to get an agent. So Sally did what any girl with gumption would do. She got the yellow pages out and she started <laughs> flipping through the yellow pages. (laughs) for theatrical agents and she found one she called them up but it turned out it was a modeling agency but they said come on in so when five foot nothing Sally Struthers walked into the modeling agency "Uh." they were like I don't think so but the agent ended up being the great Nina Blanchard kind of took pity on her and sent her down the hall to a commercial agency where she ended up booking her first commercial, and then another and another, and then hundreds, and then she became a star. <laughs> wow, wow. All from the Yellow Pages.
0: And there were many other famous residents. I mean, Janet Gaynor, Donna Reed, Gail Storm, Susan St. James. Susan, I know
2: Gail Patrick, who ended up creating the, the Perry Mason series, which makes me wonder. I wonder if Gail Patrick and Barbara Hale lived there at the same time, because I I know they wonder. were close friends and that Gail Patrick's the one that went to Barbara Hale and said, you've got to play Down yes, Street. Yes,
0: a little bit of networking. So I wonder
2: they met at the Hollywood Studio Club.
0: Yeah. Ann B. Davis from I Brady know. Bunch. I know.
2: Alice from the Brady Bunch. Yes and, yes, and Joanne Worley.
0: So, during the 70s, it kind of brings us up to yes. the point at which the Hollywood Studio Club, yeah, unfortunately, think, Things are changing in the 70s, right, <laughs> for right. sure. I mean, certainly, culturally, things are changing. Yeah,
2: yeah. And I, I think with the hippie movement, you know, from the 60s, the, the women's movement of the 70s, this idea of an of a chaperoned all-girls all girls, yeah. uh, place seemed a little old-fashioned and and it fell out of favor. Sure. And also, the studio club found itself in sort of financial hardship as well. So to try to make ends meet, they ended up starting to take in uh, transient women. They stopped serving meals. But still, they lost money.
0: Okay. And then changes in the fire code were the final stake in the heart. Because the modifications that were needed were going to cost $60,000 To get it up to fire code
2: right and they didn't have a mary pickford anymore who could spearhead a fundraiser to save the club
0: it's kind of remarkable though that given how they saved the hollywood sign that someone didn't step up but i i think your point being culturally culturally it it was just kind of a passe it seemed
2: probably silly to a lot of people
0: at that point it probably did now it closed its doors in 1975 right the structure though, is still there.
2: It is. It is. Which, you know, you can drive by and it looks exactly the same, which is kind of cool. But when it did close, the Los Angeles Times wrote a piece about it. And I love this. I'm going to quote what the Times wrote. They said, They are tales of happier times when the studio club was a haven for all those young girls, nearly 10,000 of them, who had come to Hollywood from little towns across the country to seek fame in the motion picture business. Some of them made it. Most of them didn't. While they were here, though, the club tried to be what it said it was, a substitute home for the one each had left behind. Today, the studio club is gone. The building on Lodi Place, just a few blocks from Sunset and Vine, closed last week, a victim of changing times and new fire codes.
0: Mm.
2: It's out of vogue to live in a club atmosphere, said actress Dorothy Malone, a studio club alum who was there in the 40s. They never allowed men in the rooms, and girls didn't Live with their boyfriends then, she Mm, explained. Right. And there was another former resident, Rosemary Breckler, who wrote a letter to the LA Times about the closing. Mm -hmm. And the thing she remembered the most was how the studio club nourished young women. She's quoted as saying, The thing I remember most is the wonderful feeling we had of being cherished, loved, protected, guided... And assisted in our aspirations, which I think is a lovely sentiment that really sums up what the Studio Club provided to these young women.
0: Yeah, there's really nothing like it and hasn't been since it closed. It is listed as a building on the National Register of Historic Places. And it's a historical cultural monument that is not going to be torn down. (laughs) Thank goodness. I would just love to go inside and just hear what all the ghosts would say. I know, if know? those
2: walls could talk yeah. or have a seance.
0: Or have a seance or something.
2: <laughs> Let's conjure someone up.
0: Yeah, as, as you as you wrote, if those walls yeah. could talk.
2: And I love, I just love the idea behind it and I love the history of it.
0: Yeah, me too. So I'm
2: glad we got to talk about it.
0: As we understand it, it's presently leased to the United States Department of Labor for use as a Job Corps facility. And when you visit Hollywood, you can make that one of your one of your stops on the on the tour. Steve, I think it's time for the answer to our Hollywood pop quiz.
2: Yes, and the question was, New York had their own version of the Hollywood Studio Club, which basically catered to actresses and Broadway people. What was the name of the hotel? Yes. And
0: Barbizon.
2: It Ding, 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 ding. It was the Barbizon Hotel. And there's a great book about the Barbizon Hotel if you're interested in more information about
0: that. And if you've never seen the film Stage Door, it's sort of what the Barbizon, it was based on the Barbizon. It was the the concept. Yeah, the concept. Well, this is really fascinating, once again.
2: More Hollywood history. More Hollywood
0: history. We'd love it if you would follow us on social media. Our handle is at From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. We're on Instagram. Facebook and YouTube, and you can be kept abreast of future topics and see photos on the YouTube channel. Right.
2: Make sure you check out our YouTube channel where you really get the visuals behind the podcast. And
0: subscribe.
2: (laughs) And also, we'd love to hear from you. And, you know, specifically, if any of you out there ever knew anyone who lived at the Hollywood Studio Club, I would personally love to hear from you.
0: That would be great. Uh,
2: Maybe we could do a follow-up story. Yeah. Uh, But you can always reach us at info at from Beneath the Hollywood Sign.com.
3: That's this week's view. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. You've been listening to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign with Steve Kubin and Nan McNamara, the podcast that celebrates amazing stories of Tinseltown from its golden era. Join us next week for another episode and learn something else about Hollywood you probably never knew. Take a moment and give us a five-star rating and a positive review. And tell your friends about us, too. It'll help grow the podcast. Visit Steve's website at from beneath The executive producers are Steve Kubin. Bynan and Ann McNamara, Executive Producer and Post Production Supervisor Lindsay Schneble. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit AirwaveMedia.com to listen and subscribe to their other fine shows like The Box of Oddities and The Shallow End with schnebley and Toth. Copyright 2024, all rights reserved. That's a wrap.